0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Onward, a study in the book of Acts. Together, we're learning how to live as an ordinary people empowered to continue Jesus' mission. Thanks for listening. I heard a story this week that a preacher's five year old daughter noticed that her father always paused and bowed his head for a moment before starting his sermon. And one day she got up enough courage and boldness to ask him why. And he said, well, honey, and he was, he was just so proud that she was observant and noticed of what he was doing. And he said to her, well, I'm asking the Lord help me to help me preach a good message. To which she paused and then said, well, then how come he doesn't do it? <laughs> right, I mean, we're, we all have a little bit of that in us though, right? I mean, we, Everybody in this room, I think, would say I've struggled with prayer at some point. I know I have. I've gone through times where I didn't know what prayer was or how it worked or what words I needed to use, what difference it even made. And I felt like God has wanted to teach me more about prayer lately. And so I have begun this year by reading several books on prayer. One of those books is by an author named Pete Grieg, and he starts the entire book. The first sentence of this entire book, if you're following on your notes, he makes this bold uh, bold statement. He says, prayer is the most important activity of our lives. That's a bold statement. He goes on to say that prayer is the most important activity of our lives, if you're following in your notes, because prayer is the way we develop a relationship with God. It's the way we develop a relationship with God. I mean, think about this, right? So any relationship in your life, whether it is with your spouse or your kids or your friends, schoolmates, teammates, it is Built on the amount of time you spend with them. It develops trust. It develops relationship. It develops communication. Ask yourself this question. This is a question the Lord brought to my mind this week and it bothered me. Ask yourself, how would my relationship with my blank, spouse, kids, teammates, friends, how would my relationship with my blank be, if I spent the same amount of time with them as I spend with God? That is a convicting question, especially for somebody who likes to fix things on my own. Prayer is the way we develop a relationship with God. Probably my favorite definition of prayer was given by a guy named Brother Lawrence in the 1600s. He said, if you're following your notes, prayer is keeping company with God simple. It's keeping company with God. It's about having a conversation with God. It's about building a relationship with him. It's about being with him. Grieg also goes on to say prayer is the most important activity in our lives because if you're following in your notes, prayer changes us. It changes us. Prayer reminds us of who God is when we slow down. It reminds us of our identity in Christ. It creates a humility of dependence on God in every area of our lives. It can bring peace, courage, strength, rest. It gives us spiritual eyes to see the world. I appreciate what one pastor said. He said, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. Prayer changes us. It forms us to become more like Jesus who spent time with his father and did what he saw his father doing. It forms us. So we're in a series in the book of Acts called Onward, and we're learning how an ordinary people are empowered to continue Jesus' mission. And what we're going to see today and what we're going to see Sunday after Sunday in this series, if you're following on your notes, is that Acts is the story of an ordinary people empowered by the Holy Spirit through prayer to continue Jesus' mission. Ordinary people empowered by the Holy Spirit through prayer. So if we're empowered by the Holy Spirit through prayer, then the question is, what can we learn from this early gathering of believers about prayer? And today, we're gonna look at a section of scripture that deals with that. I wanna invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter four. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. It's at right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're gonna be in chapter four, picking up in verse 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. I wanna encourage you to take one of those out. We're gonna be walking through this prayer. I think it'd be really beneficial to have God's word open in front of you to make some notes. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that home with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. Acts chapter four can be found on page 885. Of those Bibles. As you're making your way there, in this part of Scripture, we're given an example of prayer from this early church. It's the longest recorded prayer in the book of Acts. So we want to pay attention to what they pray because I believe the author Luke intends this to be an example of prayer, especially in a time of crisis and when we're afraid. And to provide the context for where this prayer takes place, if you remember, Jeff taught last week about this crisis. Early in chapter 4, Peter and John were speaking to the people in the public square, and in chapter 4, verse 2, if you're following in your Bibles, it says they were teaching people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Many heard this good news and became followers of Jesus. The same people who killed Jesus throw Peter and John in jail overnight before instructing them to keep their mouths shut and releasing them from prison. And then in verse 23, if you're following along in your Bibles, verse 23 says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So I just want to, Time out before we get into the prayer to set the context up back to their own people is this really important little sentence that's easy to overlook, but it shows us the importance of their need for community. Even though they were leaders in the church, they weren't Lone Ranger Christians. They recognized their need for community. And the first thing they did when they got out of prison was make a beeline— for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so a question, do you have that type of community in your life? People who you can call or text or ask for prayer to pursue life together. Where do you go and who do you go to in crisis? Do you have a group of trusted brothers and sisters in Christ? If you don't, I wanna encourage you to take a next step and get in a group. Right now, we know that about 50% of all adults that attend on Sunday morning are in a group. We'd love to see that percentage higher, and not just for percentage sake, but because a higher percentage means more people are connected with a trusted group of brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, on the inside of your bulletin, Steve already mentioned this, there is a text code for groups. You can send that in right now and start a conversation about how to get in a group and start doing life together in community. The early church valued community, and we do too. So beginning in verse 24, we find out what they prayed. We'll read together verse 24. It's in the first gray box on your notes. And then I'm gonna read the rest of the prayer so we can follow along in our Bibles. I wanna read this whole prayer because this is a beautiful prayer to hear in one reading. So would you read with me the first gray box on your notes, verse 24. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I'll continue, you can follow in your Bibles. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak, with your, wor- to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So we're going to go back through that prayer and pull out a few things that I believe can help us learn how to pray and empower us to continue Jesus' mission. So the friends are gathered together. Notice the first thing they did was pray. That's the first thing they did. Prayer's almost like a reflex for this group of people, right? Something's not going good, let's pray. Something's going good, let's pray. We're scared, let's pray. We need strength, let's pray. We need wisdom, let's pray. I mean, can you see it? It's just like a reflex. Every circumstance, their go-to is to pray first. And if you're following in your notes, praying together was a priority for this gathering of believers. It was a priority. And they prayed in every circumstance. Praying together was a priority for this group of believers, and we want prayer to be a priority for our gathering as well. And as they prayed, if you're following in your notes, their prayer begins by focusing on the character of God. That's how they begin. In verse 24, in that gray box, you can see it again. It says, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Beginning our prayers focused on the character and attributes of God orients us. It slows us down. It provides a proper perspective of who we're praying to. Instead of just jumping into what we need, which is what I usually do, we slow down enough to think about who it is we're praying to. Andrew Murray, a 19th century South African writer, once said this, this is so good. The power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our apprehension of who it is with whom we speak. That's great. And I believe the attribute this early gathering of believers chose to begin their prayer with was specifically chosen because of the situation they found themselves in. So what I want to say to us is you may begin your prayers with different Attributes of God. Sometimes maybe you begin with an attribute like faithful God, provider, healer, forgiver, the God who saves, Father. There's many different ways to start our prayers, but this group, we're told, begins their prayer by reminding themselves that God is sovereign, which means in control. He's in complete control. Remember, this is taking place shortly after Jesus died. His followers are being thrown in jail and persecuted. I'm sure they are wondering if what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. Their world seems like it's getting out of control and it's no coincidence that they begin their prayer praying to the one who is in control. The prayer goes on to assert how God's sovereignty has been revealed in history. They run this idea of God in control throughout the prayer. Verse 25 and 26, if you're following along in your Bibles, uh, is a quotation of Psalm 2, and it chides the enemies of God and their attempts to defeat Jesus, the Lord's anointed one. Psalm 2 reminds them of Jesus' ultimate victory over opposition. And what they're doing in this, in verses 25 and 26, as they look back, if you're following in your notes, remembering God's character gives them hope for the present and future. Remembering God's character. They're looking back here and saying, nobody could defeat Jesus. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you're struggling in the present and the future looks a little foggy and confusing. And you need to reach back to the past to remember the character of God. I remember eight years ago, I've talked about this before, but after our twin daughters died, I would stand in this room right over there and during the time of singing, I could not even get words out of my mouth. And I would stand there, and I would look at the cross and remind myself of the faithfulness and the goodness and the sacrifice of God that he's never failed me. He cared enough for me to send his one and only son. And it was the remembering his character in the past that gave me hope for the present and the future. And that's what these early believers are doing, and it's what we can do in prayer when we slow down enough to remember his character. Verse 27 goes on to mention people who thought they were sovereign, right? Herod and Pilate as political leaders. He mentions the Gentiles and the Jews who think they're sovereign and in control because they came up with a plan to kill Jesus. They all think they're in control. And then verse 28, just, he just drops, Luke drops this little bomb in here. In verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. In verse 27, everybody thinks they're in control. We all think we're in control. And then verse 28 reminds us that God is the one who allows things to happen. I just want to talk about this tension of our faith. For just a moment. I don't want to get hung up on verse 28 because there's been thousands of books written about God's sovereignty and human responsibility, and there is a mystery to this that I don't fully understand and I can't fully explain. But let me say this. So, God's sovereignty, we've said it means He's in control. God's sovereignty does not mean that everything that happens in this world is what God wants to happen. It doesn't mean that. Like sin, death, poverty, orphans. That's not God's will. To say God is sovereign means he is above all, that he rules over all, all nations and all kings and all kingdoms, over all philosophies, over all plans. And the tension is that the Bible lays equal responsibility on the sinful choices of rebellious people and says that it's all according to God's plan. And what this means is when we see in verse 27 and 28 is people who make decisions that are contrary to God's will, but God is so big and so good that he will use those bad decisions and evil intentions for his good purposes and plans. So by beginning their prayer with God's sovereignty, this early church is reminded God's in control. They can trust him, no matter how difficult their situation looks. They're reminded there is hope in the present and future because God in his sovereignty has won the ultimate victory by sending his son Jesus who willingly went to the cross to defeat evil and sin. To forgive us and to make us right with God again. Listen, that's a great beginning to a prayer. That's a great beginning to a prayer of who God is and reminding us of that. Let me pull out one more important point in verses 25 to 28. If you're following in your notes, this is important to note. The early church used Scripture to direct their prayers, They use scripture. It seems like scripture guided their prayers. There's times where there's spontaneous prayers, but they frequently prayed in response to God's word. In this case, it was Psalm two, and there's also echoes of Psalm 146 in there. If you feel like you aren't good at prayer, if you don't know how to pray or where to begin, I wanna encourage you to start with scripture. Your confidence in your prayers will be strengthened when you pray God's own words. I found this practice enormously helpful and it makes for more biblical, God-honoring prayers. Instead of me just rushing into what I want and think I need, I start with God's word and then I pray into my family or into the government or the oppressed, our church family. Scripture is the foundation for my prayers. The book I use is this old coffee-stained book called Face to Face by Kenneth Boa. And it walks you through prayers each day, prayers of adoration and confession and thanksgiving. But it begins with Scripture and then always has this phrase, now add your own words to this prayer. And I love that. I'm beginning prayer with God's words being guided by Scripture. That may be a practice you want to adopt. And you can even do that as you're reading through the Bible this year. When you finish for the day, let that direct your prayers. What did you just read? Pray into that. That may be helpful for you. Be guided by scripture. Having declared the Lord's sovereign control over the challenges outside their community and using scripture to direct their prayer, the early church now makes their requests to God. They didn't jump into the request, they're now ready to request. So would you read this with me in the second gray box in your notes? Now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If you're following on your notes, they pray for boldness to continue Jesus' mission. They pray for boldness to keep telling people about Jesus, to invite people to their gathering. And I love that they prayed for boldness because it reveals they were afraid. You don't pray for boldness unless you're afraid. You don't pray for strength unless you feel weak. Remember the circumstances they found themselves in. Context, right? Their lives were in danger and they were scared. I looked up this definition of fear this week. This is what the dictionary said. Fear is a natural human emotion in the presence of real or perceived danger. I'm thankful for that definition, and I'm thankful for this prayer because it shows me that it's okay to be afraid. It's even natural to be afraid. But I love what one pastor said. It's not wrong to feel fear, It's wrong to let fear have the last word in your life. And that's what this early church is praying. They're afraid. It's okay they're afraid, but they don't want fear to have the last word and they pray that God would give them boldness. And they could have prayed, right? They could have prayed, get us out of here, God. Change our circumstances, God. But instead they prayed, when this happens again, give us boldness boldness. Let us speak clearly to continue your mission. If you're following in your notes, they don't pray for their circumstances to change. They pray for God to change them. Here's what I want to say. Would you write the word first out next to the side of them? because we can pray for circumstances to change, and we should, and we're gonna talk about that in just a minute, but sometimes God wants to use the circumstances that we find ourselves in to do a work in us that can't be accomplished any other way. And if there's been any part of the prayer this week that has got my attention, this would be it. I have discovered this week I'm a little slow, by the way. Uh, Other people would tell you, my family, that they've known this for years. I just discovered it this week. My go-to prayer is God change the circumstances. Change that person or that person, or if, if that would just change, or if that person would just change, then I'd do whatever, right? And what God has been saying is God Give me wisdom and vision and boldness and peace and the desire to relate rightly and the discipline to get up every morning to be in your word so I can be influenced by it so I can live the way of Jesus even if my circumstances don't change. That is really hard. That's really hard. And that's what the Lord wants to say to me. And this early church didn't pray for circumstances to change. At least at first, they prayed for God to change them. They pray for boldness. Then in verse 30, they pray if you're following in your Bibles, stretch out your hand and heal, to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So just a minute ago, I said they prayed for their attitudes to change rather than circumstances, but they do here pray for their circumstances to change, for the situation to change. They pray for a sign. And a, wonder. and a sign and a wonder is something that defies rational explanation. Two weeks ago, Steve taught on healing, which can be a miraculous sign and a wonder. I'd encourage you to listen to that message. It was a fantastic message. These miraculous signs and wonders don't happen all the time. Do they still happen? Yes. They're unusual. But as God's people on mission praying for boldness... For other people to know Jesus, the Lord will upon occasion do something extraordinary, miraculous, and supernatural so that people can see his power and want to know more about him. We can pray for signs and wonders. And I think there's this connection in this prayer between praying for boldness and then praying for signs and wonders in verses 29 and 30. If you're following along in your notes, I think this is the connection. Praying for boldness leads to praying bold prayers. We can pray bold prayers. Hebrews Chapter 4, 16 says this. Would you read this with me on the screen? It says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Would you read with me James 1, 6 from the message paraphrase? Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. We can pray bold prayers for God to change us and to change our circumstances, right? We can pray for healing. We can pray for the ability to forgive. We can pray for God to change our mind and attitude about things, to understand his word and obey it, to heal a broken marriage for the child who's wandered away from their faith, the boldness to share our faith. We can pray bold prayers. Listen though, this doesn't, mean that God will respond to our prayers in the way we think he should, right? I mean, I can pray some off-the-wall prayers. Every year, when pitchers and catchers report, which they did last week, the Cardinals report to Jupiter, Florida, and my prayer is, God, would you have the Cardinals send me a roster spot? I'd love to be on the team this year. You think I'm joking? Can God do that? I believe he could. Do I think God wants to do that? Probably never. But the real rub happens, the real rub happens, and where this gets really difficult is when we pray bold prayers that seemingly do line up with God's will, and they are directed by scripture, and they're not answered the way we want them to be. That's really difficult. And it's in those times, we've already said this, we have to remember God's character to have hope in the present and the future. Without that, we just despair. But God is not intimidated by our bold prayers. He's not. Let me finish by talking about boldness leading to bold prayers by saying this. When we pray boldly, God frequently will then instruct us to do something uncomfortable or inconvenient. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. They pray for boldness to continue the mission accompanied by signs and wonders. And as you continue reading the book of Acts, this gathering of believers pray bold prayers and then they step out and they live uncomfortable, inconvenient lives to join Jesus in his mission. That won't always happen, but what I wanna submit to you is that after we pray these bold prayers, we don't just kinda let them go, we pay attention to what happens next and what God might say to us next. Write it down so we can remember what the prayer is and what he might be asking us to do in response to that bold prayer. We need to pay attention. And then in verse 31, we're given the response to their prayer. If you're following in your Bibles, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The first response we see is that their meeting place was shaken, and this detail can get overlooked, but it's so cool how Scripture lines up. Uh, Throughout the Bible, when the ground shakes, it frequently symbolizes the presence of God. And so what we're being told here is this group prayed and God was with them. He was in their presence. And then we're told, if you're following along in your notes, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me explain what that means. When someone follows Jesus, the moment of salvation, we place our trust in what Jesus accomplishes on the cross, we receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us, and he instructs us and guides us, leads us to all truth, helps us understand scripture, convicts us of sin when we've lost our way. That starts happening immediately when we follow Jesus. However, scripture also contains this phrase, be filled with the spirit. In the Acts study guide this week, Steve wrote that special fillings of the Holy Spirit enable someone to proclaim a special word or action. This filling of the Spirit is to empower us to be bold and partner with Jesus in his mission. So what it means is we can pray as followers of Jesus, fill us with your Holy Spirit today. Give me a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit so that I can journey with Jesus today and be bold and be on mission with him. But fill me fresh today. I need you. I need a fresh filling. We can ask for that as we pray. Friends, we are on mission with Jesus to make disciples, to see people of every generation give themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. We are And ordinary people, we're just ordinary people empowered by the Holy Spirit through prayer to continue Jesus' mission. So let me leave you with this question in your notes. Will we be a people who give ourselves to prayer? If that's how we're empowered, through the Holy Spirit, will we give ourselves to that? Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.